Amen. It is so good to be reminded of God's goodness, his grace, and his love. Uh, well, we're in an exciting time here at Desert Springs uh, since the beginning of the year. And by the way, can you believe we're almost done with the first month of 2020? <gasps> yeah. We have been, uh, for this month, we have been focusing on what it is that we are rooted in, how we can find rooted identity, how we can find peace and joy. We've been taking this time at the beginning of the year to think about where it is that we're rooted. And uh, this Friday, we are kicking off uh, a rooted experience. It's going to be held, uh, it's church-wide. We're doing this as a whole church, but uh, many um, of us will gather in smaller groups, some on our campus, some in homes, uh, to participate in a 10-week rooted experience. I think that this is so important for us as a church because of what I believe God has for us in 2020, but also It's such a great time to be thinking about where it is that we're rooted. And so uh, we are kicking this off. The best way to kick anything off, that's with a fiesta. So this Friday, if you have signed up for Rooted, or if you're going to sign up for Rooted, or if you're curious about what Rooted is, or if you just like to party, (laughs) join us this Friday here, right here at Desert Springs, 6.30 Friday for our Rooted Fiesta. Uh, If you've registered already, we have ordered uh, books for you. If you haven't, please register soon so we can get those books uh, for you. You can find more information on Rooted and you can find out how to uh, sign up there at dsb.church slash rooted. You can also use the Next Steps card that Don pointed out a few minutes ago, just right on there. I'm interested in Rooted and take it to Direct and Connect or just go to Direct and Connect and say, I'm interested in Rooted. What do I need to do to find a group? We've got over 25 groups that are going to be gathering throughout the week, sometimes on Sundays, sometimes uh, during the week here on campus, all around uh, North Phoenix. We want to help you in this next step. And so if you're not sure how to take your next step, visit Direct and Connect. None of this would be possible without our amazing group leaders. And so whether or not um, you're leading in a, a, a brand new group or you're doing Rooted or maybe something else, if you lead a group, a Sunday school class, would you please join me here on stage? Um, yep, come on up. And uh, this is where the hooping and hollering from the congregation commences. Yep. So regardless of what type of group you're leading, join me right up here. A person, anyone who can make that in just one leap gets the prize. No takers? All right. So uh, we wanted to just spend a moment. This church family, what we do on Sunday mornings really is just the appetizer. Real faith is lived out in real life around real people. And when we talk about the fact that we are a bunch of misfits being bound together by the love and grace of God made known to us through Jesus, in here... Uh, It can get sometimes a little tense. Uh, Sometimes it can get a a really beautiful, but I want to tell you that that truth comes radically alive when you're around tables in close proximity with people. And these are the leaders who make that happen. And so uh, I've asked, uh, we've asked Nicholas, who is one of our group leaders and uh, is in training to be uh, serving our church family as one of our elders. I've asked him to pray a prayer of commissioning over these uh, group leaders. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this group that you have chosen and called to be leaders of your children as they study your word on getting rooted in you, in church, and in community. 
We also thank you, Jesus, for your word in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18, which tells us that after your resurrection, you appeared to your disciples and told them that all powers in heaven and on earth has been given to you. And you charged them to go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that you had commanded. We pray this morning that with the same power and authority, you will release the power of the Holy Spirit upon these group leaders to have the power and the will to read the group that is under them, O oh God, to give them courage when they feel weak, to give them hope when they feel hopeless, to give them Jehovah God patience with the members of their group, O oh God. And moreover, Jehovah Father, to have a spirit of shepherdhood following the example of you, Jesus Christ, who is a true shepherd and the chief shepherd. We pray that in the name of Jesus, as the beginning of this study comes, you will be with each group from the beginning to the end. And it is in Jesus' name that we pray and we believe. Amen. 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 Thank you, Nicholas. Thank you, guys. So again, uh, I just want to encourage you, if you are not part of a small gathering of people who are trying to f uh, figure out what it means to follow Jesus in a real way, let Rooted be the time where you stand up and say, it's time for me. And so you can visit, uh, again, Direct and Connect. You can use that Next Steps card, whatever method you prefer. Now today, uh, we conclude our four-week series called Deeply Rooted. Again, we've been doing this series to gear us up for uh, this study and this season here at Desert Springs. And I must say that if you are the praying type, I would ask that you would pray for me as your pastor. This is, uh, we actually made a change in what we're talking about today. I think this is so important. If it's not important for you, at the very least, it's super important to me. And we're going to ask this question. Where is your hope rooted? Where is your hope rooted? There are some of us who are here today, we still don't know what we think about Jesus. Maybe we're trying to figure it out, like you heard from Matt just a few moments ago who was baptized. You just, you're here for the first time. You're wondering... Is there any hope to be found in Jesus? For some of us, we maybe have been following Jesus for years, maybe even decades, and we're wondering, in this moment, in this life's circumstance, is this real? Is there any hope to be found? Where is your hope rooted? There's a variety of different places that we can root our hope. Many of us know this, so I'll just tease out a few one is a hope rooted in wishful thinking, or to put it another way, the Aladdin method. I hope I'll find a genie who will make everything better. Wishful thinking goes like this. It'll all work out in the end. I remember one time I had my son up on my shoulders and he was very nervous about something. I don't really remember what it was. And he said, Daddy, I'm scared. And I said, buddy, it's going to be okay. And in that moment, I remember thinking, what gives me the right to make that kind of a claim? Well, 
it's always darkest before the dawn. You know when else it's darkest? When you're falling headfirst into an eternal abyss. So this wishful thinking, these trite statements, they don't, I mean, you guys know this, don't you? They don't actually bring us hope, do they? Uh, there's other places that we put our hope. One is in, uh, we, we put more cosmic framework around it. Uh, we say things like uh, that, that red-haired orphan of your, the sun will come out. Tomorrow, you bet your bottom dollar that tomorrow, something or other. I hate Broadway. <laughs> That's all I got for you, fam. Yeah, so Annie, in the musical Annie, she says the sun will come out tomorrow. But according to NASA, she's wrong. According to NASA, I think I had it written down here. Yeah, um, about 100 million, 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 million years from now, uh, the sun will actually run out of things to burn. It will expand. It will consume the earth into a fiery abyss, and then it will disintegrate. But as Stephen Hawking says, there's no immediate cause for concern. But this idea that the sun will come out tomorrow, you know, there's going to be a new day. Yeah, but what if there's not? I mean, that hope only gets me a few hundred years. Some of us have circumstantial hope. We hope that if my circumstances change, then everything will be better. If only I could fix my broken relationship. If only I could get promoted. If only they would love me more. If only my circumstances would change. Some of us, hope in our moral integrity. We think that there's some sort of God that exists, or at least some sort of judge, and if we just live good enough, if we just live good enough, if we just do all the right things, then, like a taxpayer, we will look to the cosmic IRS and say, I did all the good things, you owe me. And so many of us hope in our own ability to do enough good things so that the cosmic sky fairy can shower goodies on us. In fact, many of us are angry at the God of our imagination because we are wondering why it is that we're suffering even though we have been so good. That's Santa Claus. That ain't Jesus. Oh, by the way, you know what we tell kids, don't you? You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why, because there's someone who's omnipotent, who's watching your every move, and if you're a naughty little boy or girl, they're going to get you. Sleep tight. <laughs> Many of us have projected the Santa Claus morality onto the God of the universe. Is there any hope in those things? Where is your hope rooted? The earlier followers of Jesus, uh, they, they understood these things. The earliest follower of Jesus knew that there's, there's not going to be a good enough to make God do nice things for me. There's not going to be hope in the cosmos working out always in my favor. There, there's no hope in my circumstances changing. At least there's no living hope. And I want you to see this ancient text. It, it was written by uh, one of the earliest followers of Jesus, writing to some of the other earliest followers of Jesus, reminding them of something that they, that they felt. 
I want you to see this. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 9. Now, now watch. Now, now, real quick, TV time out. The people that are writing this, the people that are hearing this for the first time, reading it for the first time, they're not different than us. I mean, the, the place that they lived is different, and the technology they had is different, but they're not different than us. They suffer just as we suffer. Death had just as tight of a grip on their community as it does on ours. And so don't allow our distance from them blind us to the truth that we find here. So these earlier followers of Jesus, they're, they're suffering. Many of them are being beaten up. Many of them persecuted. Many of them are sick. Many of them are mourning the loss of someone that they loved. Does that sound much different than us? Watch what, watch what this early follower of Jesus says. His name was Paul, and he's writing to other followers of Jesus. He says this, Now we have this treasure in clay jars. So it's kind of this, this artistic way to refer to our bodies. If you think about like being made uh, from the dirt, you guys ever heard that? Um, that, uh, that people were made from the dirt, um, ashes to ashes, dust to dust is usually when we hear it. So it's this really beautiful artistic way to think about uh, ourselves, that, that here we are, we're, we're these clay jars, right? Though we can hold things and though we do serve a purpose, we can also feel brokenness. We have this treasure in clay jars in ourselves so that this extraordinary power, what kind of power? Ordinary? Extraordinary. This extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. Notice first what this earlier follower, earliest follower of Jesus is saying. That the thing I'm about to say, this power that I'm about to talk to you about, it's not something that we can, su- that we can summon up from within ourselves. It's not something that comes from our circumstances. It's not something that comes from some sort of hope in the cosmos all working out in the end. This is an extraordinary power that comes from a personal God. Not some ambiguous sky fairy, but an actual, like, feet-on-the-ground God. Now watch what this follower of Jesus says. We are, we are afflicted in which way? Every way. Sometimes this guy can get prone to hyperbole, I must say. We are afflicted. In which way? Every way. But we are not crushed. We are perplexed or confused. Perplexed, this, this idea, oh, not confused like I am at math. By the way, my second grader, is tr- he's like, Dad, can you help me with your homework? And when I say no to him, it's not because I don't want to. I literally don't know how to do the math they're doing. Any, anybody else? They changed math. That ain't what perplexed means. When the author here is speaking of perplexed, it's that gut wrench. It's the thing that you can't put, you've felt it before. It, I, I, you can't even put words to it. It's when your insides are churning and you're just beating your fist against the table saying, Why? Perplexed, gut-wrenchingly confused, but not in despair. We are persecuted, so externally imposed uh, pain. We are persecuted, but we are not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Now, I'll tell you how I felt when I read this text last week. Who gives you the right to say that to me? Who, I mean, what a bunch of fluff. 
how could I say this? Like, like with an honest-to-God look at pain and darkness and the evil in the world and the things that are wrong that I see, the things that I've experienced, the things that, I, that you have experienced, we look at those things and we say, what gives you the right? How could you say this? How many of y'all, and this is a weird thing, especially American Christians do. How many of y'all have been in deep pain and someone gives you like one of those Bible verses on like a bookmark and says, there, is it all better now? Yeah. Like a coffee mug isn't going to help me feel this way. And by the way, I just want to give you some freedom. I, I, I think... I'm in the right on this. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> but I want to give you all some freedom. Much of Scripture is people just like you and me wrestling out loud with Scripture, trying to find how it lines up with their experience. There's a whole book about it. It's called the Psalms. And there's so many statements like this. You said you're good, but why this? So in our time together this morning, I don't know where you're coming from, but I just want to encourage you in this. That there is a hope that is rooted in a real God who really loves you. And in that hope, rooted not in our own power, not in our circumstances, not in some sort of weird, ambiguous sky fairy, a real flesh and blood God. If we have our hope rooted there, Though we are afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, and struck down, we are not crushed in despair, abandoned, nor destroyed. And I want to be the first right now in this moment to simply say, I know it doesn't always feel that way, and I know how you feel. Three. Three is the number of deaths that we've had in our congregation or immediately impacted this congregation in the last two weeks. I, th- I know it's more, but, and, and friends, if this is you and you're like, he, he's not relaying mine, I just want you to, I'm sorry. I, the three that came to mind. All young parents. And though the circumstances of their death were different, Death took them. And I have spent much of the last week shaking my fists, wondering why. I know many of you are there too. Why? I'm perplexed. I'm gut-wrenchingly confused. God, you said that you love us, that you bring to us life and life abundant, and when people meet you, their life comes alive, and I saw it. Why did you let this happen? And whether it was cancer, or a diseased and darkened mind that in the moment made a permanent decision to take her life, in the midst of temporary pain, I shake my fist and say, why? 
how dare you? Why would you bring this person into our life? Why would you bring her into my life? Why would you bring him into my life? Show us so much of your beauty just to take them. So one of the three I found out uh, 12.30, exactly a week ago, I was standing right there. This doesn't happen to me frequently, but I was so overwhelmed, I just broke down crying. I was with Nick, who, Nick and I have known each other for a little while, we don't know each other like cry in front of your face well. (laughs) And he just came up and gave me a big hug, and both of us just, I know many of you that's happened too. But one of the things that struck me is like, it's not supposed to be like this. So many of you know, for maybe for those of you that don't, Leah died just a, week, a little bit over a week ago. And I wanted you to hear from Leah. Her funeral on um, Friday, we shared this, and so some of many of you were there. I, just, I, I want you to hear her words, and then I want to talk to you about hope. This is from her baptism uh, like four or five weeks ago, I think. Watch this. Hi, Desert Springs. My name is Leah. Um, God has worked miracles in my life in so many ways, and I want to continue to seek God and walk in his holy path that he has set down for me. I feel his presence in my life daily, and I continue to feel his guiding hand through my struggles and in my darkest hours when I need to feel his love the most. I have struggled with a meth addiction for 12 years and did not think sobriety would ever be possible to achieve. I have battled with depression from my addiction and never thought that I would ever find comfort and peace in my life. I sought help and treatment while I was pregnant because I knew that I did not want my baby to be born addicted to drugs and I didn't want to be addicted anymore either. On July 11th this year, I gave birth to my amazing, beautiful daughter, Kieran, um, and we were both substance free. Um, God continues to help me with my sobriety and has brought peace to my relationship with my sister, Dana Letterly. She has helped me in so many ways that I can't even count. She is a blessing in my life and Kieran's life. Um, My depression has been lifted and my mind restored to sanity and my heart continues to be healed from past and recent traumas I have suffered. There is no other explanation for it other than the love and grace from my Heavenly Father picking me up when I was broken and the world became too much for me to walk alone. As I am writing this, it was October 11th, 2019, and I had 55 days clean from meth. It is now December 15th, 2019, and I have 120 days clean from meth. I still continue to have no desire or urges to go back to my old life. And I thank God for turning my life into a miracle and for sending me such an amazing supportive family um, that you see around here today. Um, This church has been an amazing community for me and has shown me a lot of comfort and support throughout this entire journey. 
Um, I'm thankful to my friends and my family members who have helped me through this journey, and I thank God for giving me the gift of becoming a mother and and a, hopefully a wife one day. <laughs> yeah, it is my honor to baptize you in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So why? I mean, what a beautiful story. As an American, triumphalistic, everything's supposed to be on an upward path trajectory, I shake my fist and say, why is it like this? You know, Jesus doesn't have those same sentimentalities. He, he, in fact, he teaches us over and over again that following him oftentimes leads us through the valley of the shadow of death. You see, that's why here this earlier follower of Jesus says, we are afflicted. We are gut-wrenchingly confused and perplexed. We are persecuted. We are struck down. But our hope is not a hope that we can get out of these circumstances, that we can get out of this pain. The hope is bigger than that. I want to say this too. Suicide is so confusing and it's so painful. And unfortunately, there's a huge stigma around it. And I just want to say this it is not the details of a person's death that determines their relationship with Jesus, it's the details of his death. And he has been, he has been pursuing you since before you were born. And the details of your death do not stop his pursuit. Even though in a moment we run away, he is chasing after us. And he is chasing after you. He loves you so much. And I believe this with all my heart, that everyone who wants Jesus gets Jesus. Look at how much he has done for you out of love to call you his own. Two questions. Why? And two, did death win? Is this just crap? Why did death win? To the first question, I must say, I have never gotten an answer anytime I've asked that question that has satisfied me. Many of us, in the midst of pain and suffering, have asked, why God? Why would you let this happen? And I want you to know you're in good company. Even Jesus cries out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Oh, it is a absolutely honest, normal, human question. I would just encourage you in this. Could you even imagine an answer that would satisfy you? I know that for at least for me, I've also come to the point to where 
I don't know that I should be, should be so arrogant as to assume I would even understand the answer. So to the first question, Jesus does not give us an answer. Why? Why did this happen? Why did you take her? Why did you let this happen? Whatever the form, Jesus does not answer question one. But he does answer question two. Did death win? To that, we have a resounding no. Death does not win. Though we are afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, and struck down, death does not win. Death does not claim victory. Death is defeated. In the death, didn't you see it on the t-shirt? What's it say? Death, burial, which is the most common thing to every human. Nothing magnificent about that. It says death, burial, and resurrection. There was a time when Jesus showed up at a funeral. It was the funeral of a friend who was dear to him. This friend, his name was Lazarus. Lazarus had two sisters that we know of, Mary and Martha. And they both asked Jesus the same question that we all ask Jesus. Why? Where were you? If you would have just done something, the one I love wouldn't be dead. Jesus doesn't say, well, here's why. And he doesn't say, ah, gee, Willikers, you're right, I I missed the date on the calendar. Two things that Jesus does in this scene. You'll find it in John 11. He says this, your brother will rise again. Martha, one of the sisters, said, I know that he will rise in the last day in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even though they die, will live. Do you see here the earliest followers of Jesus were remembering these words of Jesus when they said, even though we die, we will yet live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. So the first thing that Jesus does is he reminds us of a deeply rooted hope, a hope that is rooted in him, in his resurrection. But he does something else. And this has brought me great comfort. Then he continues on, and he's going to the grave. And he says this. Uh, I'll summarize. He he goes and he he sees the people crying. He sees Mary, Lazarus' sister, crying and mourning. And he says this. the, The text says this. As soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her crying and those with her crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Now, real quick, time out. Deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. That kind of sounds weird, right? This is that same thing. It's that thing that you feel that you can't quite put words to. It's that mixture of agony, 
mourning, and being perplexed. Have you felt that before? Some people call it gut wrench, when everything just... Jesus, who just got done saying, your brother will rise again. Have faith in me. I'm the resurrection and the life. If there's anyone who has a deeply rooted hope in Jesus, it's Jesus. Like if anybody knows it's gonna work out, it's the king and creator of the universe who holds the cosmos together by the word of his power. You'd think he'd be rolling up on that tomb like, watch what happens. Jesus walks up. He sees Mary and those weeping, those with her weeping. Mm. And he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. And he asks, where have you put him? Lord, they told him, come and see. And one of the most powerful texts for me is this. Jesus wept. To put it another way, Jesus mourned. Jesus raged against death. Jesus wept. And here's the deal. Some of you know the ending of the story, but just in this moment, I want you to see Jesus there, knowing, having a deeply rooted hope in the resurrection. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. And in that same space, having his guts churn inside out and in agony and mourning, Weeping. Can you see him there? We must see him there. For how else are we to mourn? How else are we to deal with the questions of why and did death win? There's an old author, Dorothy Sayers. She's one of my favorites. She says this, that whatever game God is playing with humanity causing us or at least allowing us to suffer all of the cruelties of life. He at least had the integrity to take his own medicine. For God was born in the flesh, subjecting himself to every pain, physical, emotional, and spiritual, that you and I experience. He was born into poverty, He felt all of the cramping restrictions of life. He was abandoned, betrayed, even abused by those around him. When you and I pray, we do not pray to one who is distant from us, and we do not pray to one who is unfamiliar with what this feels like. We pray to one who has agonized over death as well. We do not get an answer to why, but we do get a crystal clear answer to did death win. The reason that these earliest followers of Jesus can say we're afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed, we are confused, gut-wrenchingly perplexed, and yet we are not in despair. We are persecuted, but we are not abandoned. And we are struck down, but we are not destroyed. 
It's not because of my circumstances. It's not because of some sort of cosmic thing working out in ambiguity. It's because God took on flesh and dwelt among us and he said, I'm going to die, you're going to kill me, and three days later, I'm going to rise. And he pulled it off. And he stands victorious over the grave and he says, though we might now die, all who turn from their own self-centeredness, who turn from pursuing death and turn to him, all who do that, though they yet die, they will yet live and live eternal. Friends, following Jesus is not some sort of Pollyanna, pie in the sky, it'll all work out in the end kind of faith. It's a gritty feet in the dirt, hands in the blood and dirt and mud, looking death right in the eye and saying, though you might take me for a moment, you will not have me forever. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I will not trust the sweetest frame, but I will wholly trust in Jesus' name. In Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Friends, Jesus loves you so much. Let me pray for us. Lord, you have risen and you have risen indeed. And it is in light of this hope that we cling to you. In the midst of these dark moments, this agonizing pain, this confusion, we root our hope in you. Knowing that you love us, that you're powerful to bring this about, that you can bring us deep peace and profound comfort even in the midst of shaking our fists at death. In the midst of the confusion, Lord, we know that we are not abandoned. In the midst of the persecution, Lord, we know that we are not defeated. And though death yet may strike us down, you live and give to us life and life abundant. We believe that. We sing about it. And Lord, in this moment, We believe it for our friends and ourselves. We love you, Lord. Amen.